Ditch Diggers number 97. Ditch Diggers here and ain't no wannabes here. With some not so nice advice for your writing career. To be clear, no punches will be pulled, but the punch may be spiked. How they like before they get on the mic. To my left, we got the mighty Mer Lafferty. And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me. And her co-host, Matt Evan Wallace, on the right. Yes, she may be half as hype as she can take him in a fight. So settle in, folks. Buckle in and boot up. Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up. It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting. Facebook will still be there when you're done writing. Ditch Diggers! Ditch Diggers! Coming to you live from the guest room in the Ditch Diggers Manor House that is uh, separated by shadow partitions, it is the Ditch Diggers. Mer Lafferty and Matt Wallace with our special guests, Jennifer Udden and Dongwon Song. How is everybody? I'm doing okay, <laughs> or I'm doing okay over here. <laughs> um, as in, in plague-adjusted terms, doing pretty good. In plague yeah, and exactly. riot-adjusted terms, how is everybody doing? <laughs> it's a little Delivery. like having your parents in your uh, bedroom. Yeah. I'm literally, <laughs> living, I'm literally living with my parents right now, so that's a little too <laughs> real. <laughs> but we can all relate to it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes, it is still uh, plague days, uh, extra spicy because of the protests sometimes turning into riots last weekend. So uh, we're all, th- there's even more reasons to sit here and go, well, fuck, I can't write. But <laughs> we've wanted to get you guys on the show for quite some time. We just realized that we haven't had you on since uh, March of 2018. So it's, oh it's time to check in. With you guys again to give us the uh, the the pro responses to all the questions, while Matt and I have just been um, pretending for quite some time. <laughs> but uh, Matt, how are you doing? Uh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed yeah. right now. With everything in the world, literally every single thing in the world, is overwhelming right now. But uh, like you said, we still have business to attend to. This podcast is part of that business, and it is nice to have the agents back yes. on the show. Uh, I'm now overwhelmed again by the fact that it's been two years realizing that. I want to thank Skype for keeping records for us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that in our face. That was very helpful this morning before <laughs> I even had caffeine. Well, I wasn't even sure if I had, uh, if I still had uh, Jens and Dong Wan's, uh Skype names, and when I pulled it up, it's like there's a discussion that you last spoke in two years ago with Dong Wan and Jen and Matt, and so uh, yeah, Skype remembered for us. Thank you, Skype. Well, technology being helpful for once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> once. Once. I can't believe Skype still exists, to be honest with you. But no, I'll be totally honest. All I can think now is after seeing that is, oh my god, what did I do in the last two years? Did I do enough? <laughs> in the last two years to justify having that much time have passed since this last arbitrary thing that I'm not thinking about. That's all not I can to be think too about. much your agent right here, but I believe you've written and published a few books. Yeah, thank you, I John. I you're right. You're absolutely right. So yeah. the answer to that question is yes, Matt. You did enough. Also, <laughs> that's a completely ridiculous standard to hold yourself to. Thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so we, we've had a, a, a very old question, but it is kind of... Uh, it's, it's a serious question. Uh, we have some other questions, I assume, Matt. Um, do we want to start with the serious and then just go up from there? 
All right, wait, let's, let's start with this here. Let's start with the reason that okay. we gathered everybody here. And also, the, the person who asked this has waited longer than enough for us to finally address this. So Yes, I want to apologize to the anonymous person, but really, Matt and I wanted to make sure we had the right people on the show to talk about this. And unfortunately, it's taken a long time for this to happen. So I hope what we talk about is still useful to you, and I'm sorry it's taken this long to uh, get to this. But... Um, to boil it down, there have been problems with predatory uh, activity in, well, almost any field, but specifically writing field. And that can be anything from uh, sexual harassment to sexual assault to grooming, which is, I believe, the act of uh, let me help your career along with the unspoken acknowledgement that uh, you'll owe me, wink, wink. Uh, am I right on, on what grooming is? It's more um, sort of... Uh, leading down the garden path kind of uh, that that's more of a pay for play kind of thing that you're okay. talking about I, I think of it more as like oh this person always talks to me they single me out at parties it feels so good to, to be noticed by them you know I get invited to do this stuff you know and you're sort of slowly being lulled into a sense of comfort and safety and then there's like a shadowy motive at the back of it okay yeah i think there can be a kind of wide range of ways in which like grooming is applied you know whether that's in return for sexual favors professional favors um or even just social status um i've seen it applied in a number of ways that are very unsettling and unpleasant um but it's not always necessarily a sex or money thing i think that's the problem with it is that since it's not obviously a sex or money thing it's really hard to pinpoint it's just sometimes you'll have a conversation with somebody that you walk away from and go why do I feel slightly oily I, I don't yeah. understand it so yeah um so anyway the question is when it happens talk just talking about it, it it's, it's a very complicated question I'm trying to boil it down um it is complicated navigating when and who to talk to about predatory behavior that comes up in creative circles. When to go public, how to stay safe, how to keep others safe when you don't already know them. That's the whole missing stare idea. Who do you mention? Like, do you, the missing stare is you, what, everybody knows that you just step over the missing stare when you're going up and down the stairs, but when someone comes into the house who's never been there before, they're not going to know about the missing stare and they could fall. That's that metaphor. But, uh, how to stay safe, how to keep others safe, being mindful of the consent and privacy of targets of abuse while keeping your community safe, how to handle it when rot is at the top, and directly addressing or confronting predatory people. Now, that's a lot to talk about, but uh, I was hoping we could get just a little bit of guidance from you guys. Who wants to start? I see we're both rushing in to answer yeah, you the are. difficult question. <laughs> well, then, well, how about we, can we put, here, let's put it in a specific context for okay. you all. To give, this is a okay. lot to ask. So I'll start with Don Juan because Don Juan is my agent. Don Juan, if I came to you and said, uh, I feel like I'm, this person is grooming me or this person in the industry is harassing me or I had a problem and I, and I don't know how to address that, how would you advise me and guide me as my agent? What would you tell mm -hmm. me to do? What would your response be? Well, I think the thing that I'm thinking about right now is that there's sort of different s scales at which you can address the problem, right? And, you know, if we're really going to laser focus in on what you as an individual can do, um, you know, it, in the case of grooming, in the case of uh, that kind of very specific sort of um, not obvious uh, harassment or not obvious um, um, interaction there, 
you know, it's easy to, I think, some, not easy, but the goal is to step back in a personal way, right? The goal is to remove yourself from that situation, to find a different group of people uh, who can be a support network for you. <laughs> and, you know, in that case, if you already have an agent, if you already have a, a book contract, then you're really in a position with a lot more power and a lot more agency in that relationship. So things are a little bit easier. If you're just starting out and you're kind of on your own, that's when things get really, really hard. And I think that's why a lot of younger writers, especially AFAB writers, are really targeted by, you know, these kind of predatory actions because they are vulnerable in a way that someone who's more established isn't, right? Um, so, you know, I think the trick is how do we build structures that mean that those people, when they start feeling uncomfortable, when they feel unsettled, have resources, and also, how do we build structures that make sure that people who are coming into the house are aware of the structure of that staircase and the fact that about 30% of the stairs are missing? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's, uh, that's depressing. Um, but 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 I would agree with what Dongwon said. But I would also say that, um, you know, apart from the structural element of it, which obviously needs, you know, it would be nice to have structure. Um, <laughs> The idea of um, being, you know, set, setting boundaries for yourself and paying attention to who tries to get past those boundaries and in what situations and just kind of keeping track because so much of it is just so much of it is, is that kind of stuff that you can't put a finger on. Right. It's the I just didn't feel good about that. And taking right. note, maybe taking actual physical notes of like this is, you know, it was this date and this was the situation and this is what happened. I find that sort of specific advice is like to document is my first um, port of call just because people, you know, one of the other tactics is gaslighting. It's like, oh, you didn't remember it right. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. You know, this isn't, this didn't happen the way you, you think it did. So, you know, making the pact with yourself that, you know, the things that happened to you were real and sort of documenting it, I find is also a, can be a source of sort of strength. Um, that's a great but idea. It's yeah. such a wide. There, there are so many ways in which people can be shit. <laughs> that yeah. It's hard to point to any one piece of right. advice to be like, "This is the the one neat trick for getting men to stop being garbage." Is <laughs> unfortunately I mean, not a thing. The hardest thing for me is that um, you know. My, my my core advice is trust your instincts, right? Like if you get a bad vibe from somebody, it doesn't matter what other people have said. It doesn't matter what their reputation in the community is. Like trust your instinct above everything else, right? And if you're feeling like somebody is pushing on your boundaries, violating your boundaries, um, or being aggressive in certain ways and making you uncomfortable, then remove yourself from that situation if you can. And you know, remember that no one person can make or break your career. And if they're trying to tell you that, then they are not your friend, right? So, but the problem is that person probably does have some kind of structural power. That person does have influence and they probably have a lot of friends, right? The thing to remember about listening to someone's friends is those people aren't there all the time. They don't see how that person interacts with everybody. So when somebody shows, steps up and says, this person is my friend, I've never seen them do, do anything, they're a good person, whatever it is, they know up to a point, but they don't know everything. And so you have to trust what you saw and what you experienced and trust how you felt above what other people are saying. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially as Jen brings up sort of gaslighting and those kind of things. 
Which is why like documenting that and being really clear with yourself about what you felt happened. And, you know, worst case, if you remove yourself from a situation, you don't have to go around and necessarily out that person, depending on the circumstance. So, you know, the, the gaslighting thing can be a situation that you can do an end run around and just quietly step back. Um, it's not the solution for all cases. I'm definitely not saying that people shouldn't be called out. But sometimes if you're on uncertain footing, protecting yourself is the first priority. Yeah, the, uh, the, the thing about the person's friends, uh, I was recently, not recently, several years ago, I had a situation where somebody I was uh, sort of associated with on a friend level um, was accused of a lot of grooming activity. And I had never seen this, and I realized I'd never seen it because the person saw me in a, in a different sort of hierarchy I, I was not one to be groomed. I was not one that they could groom. And so I never saw that side. And I know some other women who were also said this, which is they never showed this to me, but that's probably because they didn't see me as a target. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, if you if you hear this about somebody, you, you, like you said, you got to know that they're not going to be the same way around you as they are around other people. It's like you, you if they don't see you as a target, they're not going to, use you as a target I, 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 that, that metaphor fell apart but uh no 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 i understand yeah and yeah, you know it, it's saying. it's really interesting for me because i'm someone you know i'm a literary agent i have power in this industry uh, I'm, I'm sort of a known figure in certain ways and like also being you know a cis dude uh or presenting a cis dude i have you know various marginalizations but i also have a lot of privilege and power right so the way in which i've interacted with a lot of people who've been called out has been interesting because they're never going to come at me straight on in that way, right? right? They're not going to try and manipulate me in the way that they would try to manipulate a new writer. So, you know, that said, I have been aware of certain people as people who have set off red flags for me. Um, and every time I haven't listened to my instincts on, like, that person gives me a weird vibe in this specific way. Um, and by that, I don't just mean they're socially awkward. I'm, I'm not talking about... Um, you know, social dynamics that are about neurodiversity or about just general awkwardness and those kind of things. Like people are uncomfortable and people are different and strange and that's the glory of how humans are. It, what I'm talking about are things that really set up specific danger flags for you and figuring out how to identify those in, in your reactions and in a person is really important. Yeah. And I think um, uh, Mur had read out the, the full question, which had some some sort of details in it that we probably won't go into, but I think too, that this person is also asking about, you know, I, I think the advice we've given is really good on sort of what to do for yourself. But I, I think that the question of like how to broach it with other people is also a thorny yeah. one that I don't really know the straightforward answer to. Um, like how to tell other people how to kind of let people know about missing stairs without violating someone else's privacy. It's a mess. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about whisper networks, right? And yeah. I, I have complicated feelings about it because without other structural tools in place, whisper networks are sort of the thing that um, are the tool, right? Like that's how we let people know and how we are let know about people who are a problem. Um, and there have been times where I haven't been told about somebody and ended up, you know, in a sticky situation with that person. And I really, really had wished somebody had just spoken up you know, um, and help me avoid that. And 
again, because of you know the powers and privilege stuff I was talking about earlier, those situations are never that bad for me, but it makes me think about other people who, who could wander into that themselves. Yeah, the problem I find is that um, whisper networks can sound like character assassination if you don't have details, but if you give out details, you're violating a victim's privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where the real catch-22 comes in, especially if someone... And it's such a big thing for someone to confide in you yeah. about stuff like that, and that trust is really... You know, that's that's a very sacred... I can't think of a better word, but I'm just going to say sacred. And when they're not ready to come forward themselves or they don't want their name put in it, you know, you have to respect that and take that seriously. And it's, it's a really frustrating situation to be in where someone confides in you about about a predatory behavior or somebody being predatory and you really want to do something about it but if you call this person out by name then people the first thing they do is demand receipts you yeah. know and you don't have the receipt to give people because whoever you talk to might not be ready to come forward and that's fine no one should be forced to put themselves out there like that if they don't want to do that so that's that's one of the most difficult situations to be in short of being the victim of predatory behavior yourself you know next to that it's that's a tough thing so i don't know like like we keep saying there's no structural or systemic thing in place which leads me to what structural or systemic thing do we need to put in place to give people a way to because i believe the question was about back channeling that was the way the person put how do we back channel these things when we can't go out in public and name drop and give receipts and that's i think that's the system that we're missing so where does it start? I mean, does it start with professional organizations like SFWA? I mean, do they have anything like that that could be used as a mechanism, you know, like a hotline kind of thing? I don't even know if that's a good idea, but I'm just putting it out there. What's Do we have any ideas for systemic or structural things that could be put in place so that we could move towards to provide that back channel for people that isn't just a whisper network of individuals? You know? Right. You know, I think the place to start is with conventions uh, or any conference you go to, if you're going to a con or a conference that doesn't have a very clear, very good um, uh, harassment policy that is on the side of any potential victims and any potential people who are reporting that harassment, then, you know, I think it behooves us as professionals and as attendees to really speak up and say, hey, this is unacceptable. You need a better policy here. You need a better guideline and a better set of responses and you know sometimes they'll just say you know this isn't tolerated but the question is well what does that mean what do you do when i have to go to you and say this and this and this happened right and you know unfortunately i've had to do that right i've had to go to safety committees and be like hey i'm being pursued by this person or this situation is happening or you know on behalf of a client or for myself right and it is really frustrating when you do that and the answer is well we went and talked to the guy i'm like well, and what, right? And what do we right. do now? Um, so I think we can start there. But you're right. There, there's it, this reaches very far past just individual conferences. Yeah, but the convention thing is a good point because it's, it seems to me like that that ends up being kind of the end game of a lot of sort of this grooming and harassment stuff. That's where it ends up getting enacted in real life uh, context or in the physical yeah. context. Not that online isn't a real life context. Are you and saying the internet isn't real? <laughs> <laughs> internet can feel very real, Jen. It's that major thing. <laughs> if it happens to you on the internet, it happens to you physically. But the um, internet gives you receipts. Yeah. True. That is a good that is a good use for it. Um, 
but yeah, I, but yeah, the, that, but that again, that so that that's a good context for it in the in the physical realm, but just in in everything that leads up to that, I just don't know where where we go or who takes responsibility. It's just such a it's it's such a tenuous and difficult thing to give people power over to say to someone, okay, you're going to be responsible for everyone who's being affected by this or being victimized by this. Like, who do you pick? It's just that's yeah. that's that's where I get. That's where the rub comes for me, because like, who- and I've also seen situations where you know the control over the safety committee and the control over the sort of safety structures has put in, been put in the hands of someone who didn't have great intent, right? And right. who protected the people that were close to them and um, punished people who weren't. And you know, it's it's and that really undermines trust in the organization. And you know, I think a lot of groups, you know, corporate groups, nonprofit groups, uh, you know, conferences and organizations have been really, really struggling with this over the past few years. And I haven't seen a really clear, good set of best practices emerge yet. Um, and, you know, I think this is just going to be a thing that we're going to be dealing with for quite a while, um, you know, not to be bleak about it. But, yeah. you know, I think that's why the back channeling and why the Whisper Networks have become so important, because we are struggling to find good structural solutions. Yeah, yeah. And it's just—it's so sad that this is where we're at still now, after so many decades of you know all this, all this stuff happened. It's not like none of this is new, and it's just—it's so great. It's wild, man, that we made like so little progress with it. So well, I'm, one, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say this is not really a sidebar, but I've, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, especially with you know the, the business, um, the. I mean, worse than the sort of like active complicity in, well, not worse, but on, you know, one thing I also think is a problem in addition to sort of like these um, safety committees sort of either being made up of people friendly to accusers or something like that is the defensiveness on the, on the part of people like I, like that person couldn't do that because I'm friends with them and yeah. I wouldn't be friends with a bad person. Right. Yeah. And I almost think that we need to work on that as you know, at the same time, because it's that defensiveness that, like, it's that, like, I don't have a racist bone in my body. <laughs> like, but Right, you're, yeah. But your yeah. friend did a racism, friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I think that, especially since um, the industry is, especially, I think, the SFF, by and large, is a bunch of well-meaning white people who have blind spots and who don't want to admit that they occupy... A position of privilege even if they're sort of like lower on the totem pole or whatever I, that's that's another element that i feel like also kind of helps prop up some of these um some of these bad actors and some of these structures um because people don't want to admit that they made a mistake yeah yeah absolutely that's that's definitely a big one the way people dig on their heels on that and just continue to be wrong forever because they don't want more i feel almost, most of the times they don't want to admit to themselves more than anybody else uh, just yeah strange thing and that's so hard to get past and then that derails everything because that becomes the conversation you know it becomes it we, you get away from what actually happened to will you just admit that this happened and that you're wrong and why are we arguing about this now you know there's just so many things that derail the actual conversation too when you get into people's hang-ups like that yeah saying uh one, one good thing that happened to me was um I can't remember the context because it wasn't, it, you know, when you sign up to be to participate in a convention, usually there's a, a line saying, is there somebody you don't want to be on a panel with? And whenever I filled that out, um, I've never gotten 
response, but so I don't think it was that, but I can't remember. I basically, I was telling somebody who worked at a convention that I will not be on a panel with this specific person. And mm-hmm. it surprised me when they came back and they said, okay, I need to know if this is a missing stare situation, if I need to be aware of something else. And I'm like, well, no, he's just a really big asshole and I hate him. <laughs> I don't think he's, he's not a, he's not a, you I haven't know, seen Matt him do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen him do anything, you know, uh, aggressive or sexually harassing or anything. I just don't like mm-hmm. the guy at all. He did something very mean to me at a con once, but it had nothing to do with gender dynamics or anything. I'm not afraid of him. I just think he's a jerk, and I won't be on a panel with him. And, uh, you know, the woman I was talking to was like, okay, I just needed to make sure. And I really appreciated the fact that she came back to me and said, is this something I need to be aware of? And um, so that gave me a little bit of hope for conventions, Mm -hmm. at least any convention this person was involved with, that they would sniff that out. Uh, but it's also hard, right? Because there's so many times where, you know, someone has given me the heebie-jeebies, and yeah. then it turns out six months, a year later, that they were doing stuff. And, but if when asked that question, I can't say yes, like that person should be removed from this, even if I yeah. feel like maybe they should. But I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any evidence, right? Or not even evidence. It's not like a legal matter. I don't have any like thing I can say that with any definitiveness, like, yes, that person should be not involved and should suffer the consequences of being not involved, right? Um, and it, it's, it can be a difficult balancing act when you are working on being a good ally instead of being a person who is the object of their attentions. Right. I, I, I just want to say I, don't, I didn't get the sense that they were saying, do I need to kick this person out? I think they just mm-hmm. needed to be aware of if I was not wanting to be around them for other reasons, that they need to keep an eye on like them. I didn't get a sense that there was going to be any, yeah, a safety thing rather than a uh, preemptive strike thing. I didn't get the sense that they were going to kick the guy out. So just just for that record. But it is good that they followed up like that. Yeah. I say, that's good that they were interested. And it, just, it wasn't just a thing of like as soon as you said that, everything shut down because they didn't want to probe any further right. or open up a can of worms. You know, I think that that is a, definitely a good thing. That also gets me thinking about another component. I mean, there's so many fucking components to this, but like another component is really likability and popularity. You know, it's it's I don't want to say easier, but it's it's more accepting when someone gets called out who like there's a general vibe of a lot of people never liked this person. They were always kind of a scumbag, you know. But when it gets really difficult in terms of public reception, is when you get somebody who is widely very well liked or even well loved or very popular or seen as cool, whatever the hell that means. Like, you, it gets a lot harder to, to believe it about that person for a lot of people. Because like, well, it can't be them. They're just, they're the cool guy. They're the popular one. Yeah. I believe it about this person over here, but I just can't, I just can't get there with this person. You know, it's, then that has a whole other messed up component to the whole thing. And then, you know, that's another thing that gets derailed because you end up talking about what a good person they are instead of what was said about them or what they're accused of. And it's that, yeah. that's a really hard thing to get past. Sometimes I I don't I don't even know how to how to do that. How do you how do you change people's hearts and minds? You know, or you know well, even I'm... worse. Is, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh no, you first. Uh, the thing I was gonna say is it gets even harder when people's uh, professional and financial lives are tied up with that person, right? Okay. Or that person is doing something that you know is actively benefiting many people in in terms of their reputation, in terms of um, their pocketbooks. 
but that person is still a toxic influence, right? Um, and they're using the power that they have there to uh, uh, pressure writers into a variety of different things that um, are uncomfortable. And, you know, again, saying earlier that, that it goes beyond, you know, favors or sexual favors, things like that. Um, and, you know, it, it gets very hard to call that person out because then suddenly everyone steps back and like, well, you know, I, I want to be involved with that person because there are active benefits to me, whether they're saying that consciously or subconsciously. And it can be very hard to dislodge that person as a result. Yeah. And one thing that um, this is sort of the other, the, uh, maybe another side of that is, you know, especially if you occupy a position of uh, power or perce- perceived power in the industry, people might not feel comfortable telling you things. Um, that certainly happened to me where stuff has happened and I find out about it afterwards. And at first I was sort of, you know, a little hurt that people didn't tell me, but then I realized like, well, why would they think that I was a safe person with that to, to approach with that information? Because for all they know, like I'm, you know, I'm at that same level or like, you know, so having to reckon with that myself was like, okay, I do have power in this industry. So people aren't necessarily going to be a hundred percent comfortable telling me things if they feel like I'm not um, going to be a safe person with that information. Yeah. No, yeah, that definitely gets to the core. I think of one of the cores of this, which is trying to find safe spaces and safe people. And that's such a difficult thing to do. I don't, I guess, I guess for me, we talk about the lack of systemic and structural stuff and that we're not sure what to do with that. Like my, my mode of operation is I, at least I try to let people within my circles know that even as a cis white dude, you know, who may represent kind of the system that they're worried about incurring the wrath of, like, I, I will be a safe space. I am someone you can confide in and trust, and I will act on your behalf, and I will believe you. Is that, and that's really the thing I try to get to get out there as much as I can. It's like, I will believe you, because I think that's the thing. That's the thing when you get down to it is they don't think anybody will believe them. If they do, they won't do anything about it. So is that the right, is that the right thing to be? Is that the right thing to go for? Is that the best you can do as an individual? Is just try to be that and let people know? You know, I think at the end of the day, what matters is community, right? The thing that that will help us solve this isn't calling the cops. It's us building community and identifying the people who are the missing stairs and being vocal about it. And, you know, taking action within our own groups to make sure that people are supported and have resources and have allies, right? So I think the more you um, and people like you can demonstrate that, yes, I am here to help foster the right kind of environment, and that I will not only hear you, but take action as appropriate, right? Like, I'm not just going to talk. I'm going to back that up with, right. um, you know, ways in which I can concretely support you. And, you know, that that should be a thing that comes out of a conversation, right? You shouldn't just run off and do what you think is right. You know, you should have a conversation with the person in question. Absolutely. About Everything it. should come from them. I, to- exactly. I totally agree with that. But if it comes to, like, someone who doesn't feel they have the power or position to do that, and if you're willing to take that on, and I think that's that's a big thing that you can do, you know, with their permission, if, you know, yeah. it can be that is going to be that. I don't want to say shield because it seems wrong somehow, but just be the one to go out to put it out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I'm talking about lowercase c community. I'm not talking about like the science fiction fantasy writing community. I'm talking about groups of people who are your friends, groups of people who sort of are are you know gathered around a particular uh, identity or particular uh, axis of, of whatever that relationship is. So, Right. 
sadly, like most things writing related, we end up having to do it ourselves because it just isn't structured <laughs> to support us, which is very sad. So, and something we need to work on. But yeah. I just don't, I don't know where to start there. I'm not a I'm not a structural guy. I never have been. So. So can we you're boil it load, down? You're not load bearing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be more load-bearing, Jen. That's a valid criticism. <laughs> I'm going to internalize that and really do something about it. Uh, so if we like boil it down to, you've got a newbie writer who perhaps doesn't have an agent they can lean on. Um, can you give them like one bit of advice on moving forward in this community with this hanging over them? Woof. Yeah. Um... Uh, I would say, um, to quote Tong Wan from earlier, just trust your instincts and keep yourself as safe as you can. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the, the only the only person who knows the situation is is you and the other people who are involved in it. So it, nothing there there is no right time to come forward or to call someone out. But yeah kind of petered off there sorry <laughs> sorry now the listening to yourself thing is a, is a much bigger lesson than i think a lot of people realize it is because when you're first starting out doing this you you feel like everyone knows more than you do about everything you know everyone you interact with writers agents editors uh just you know people having conversations on twitter you really feel like everyone knows more about everything than you do so you know and when that what you're really saying is people know more about writing or about the writing business than you but you extend that to everything. So if you get in a situation where someone is behaving inappropriately towards you, and even if you get to a point where you tell them, hey, I don't, this isn't cool, this is making me feel weird, if they tell you, well, you're just interpreting this wrong, that's not what's happening here, you're already in that position of feeling like this person knows more than you do about everything, so you must be the problem. And that's completely the wrong approach to have. You, you know, Just because someone uh, has more success as a writer than you, has been in the writing business longer than you have, it doesn't mean they know more about how you feel or how about how they're making you feel. So that's something you should always have agency over and realize that how the, how you're feeling matters. And I am going back to Jen's thing about you know uh, documenting it and having those receipts for yourself. I think is is a big part of actualizing yeah. that, and really putting that into action. So I don't think that's something that seems obvious when we're talking about it. But I really feel like that's a big one to hit. You know, like we like you hear listen to yourself so much when we talk about these things. You don't you you can you tend to kind of forget how many people don't haven't learned that lesson already or don't realize that that's a thing and that that should be a thing they should listen to themselves and trust their instincts so that is a huge lesson I think you know and I think the other thing you can do is you know build as wide of a base of contacts as you can right they don't necessarily have to be your best friends in the world but you know have people you can go to and. You know, I think the trick is, you know, as you're talking about coming into the business and feeling like everyone knows more than you, it made me think of sort of uh, the fact that people sort of do, right? They know the community, they know the business, mm -hmm. they know those things. Trust your instincts, but sometimes the best thing you can do is just ask questions, yeah, right? Absolutely. And just ask people and say, hey, this thing happened. Do you think that's okay? You know what I mean? You're not out there shit talking. You're not out there trying to run someone down. You know, I think having people you can go to just for gut checks and get, you know, a wide range of opinions on it and you know again keep your just because they're a friend doesn't mean that like you don't 
need to also trust your instincts and sort of keep your your you know threat detection going or whatever it is right like and be be aware that people will have biases in their responses but you know the people i've seen whether those situations the best have been the ones who have had a broad base of connections um and who are willing to go and ask those hard questions right um and you know it's not about calling someone out necessarily it's not about like a david and goliath situation it's about protecting yourself first and foremost and the way you do that is you know again through community through awareness and um through sort of as jen was saying trusting your instincts and and you know putting your feelings at the center of your experience yeah i think one of the best things you can do for yourself in this in this community and for your for your career for your writing for everything really for this and so many other things is make connections with people who are much different than you are who are outside your natural social circles outside yeah. your natural you know habitats because you just getting those different perspectives and knowing people in these different quarters it just gives you much more reach uh, you know to talk to people and to get perspective on things that you wouldn't ordinarily get perspective on. That's something I've worked really hard at the last few years, is like getting outside of my own immediate, you know, certain spheres because I'm very insular naturally. So I think that that's very good advice, just just in general, but can be very valuable for things like this in particular. So, uh, did you have anything to add to that, Jen? Nope. Okay. Well said. Uh, well, thank you all, guys, and I hope uh, seriously that we have. I'm sorry it took us so long to get to this, but I'm really glad we brought you on because you guys said a lot smarter things than than Matt and I have. So, um, that's actually, the- one tag I would like to put in this moment. Yeah, before we say please. Into the rest of the thing is I think one one really important thing to acknowledge here for people listening to this who might be worried about this or experiencing this is particularly a thing about going public or it affecting their careers because that's that was one of the big part, I think one of the big parts of the question is you're listening to two professional agents who have very prominent clients you know they're they're as legit as it gets as far as I'm concerned and I think it's fair to say Don Juan and Jen neither of you will will ever hold against someone an accusation they've made against predatory behavior in terms of representing them or in terms of their professionalism. Like that's not something that you would ever think, oh, this person is untouchable. Right. No. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I just wanted to hit that because I think I just I think it'll help people to realize that there are plenty of people who are not going to consider you tainted or consider that your career is somehow damaged because you went through something like this and you uh, you accuse anybody or you were out there, you know, dealing with it. So I just wanted to make I that mean, point. The, the truth is a lot of people, you hear this a lot about somebody saying like, oh, I can ruin your career or I can make your career. And the reality is, is like publishing is way too chaotic for that to be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That, I mean, I can't think of a single person who has enough. Sorry, say again, Jen. I just said that it, that implies a level of organization that we just do not yeah. have as an, as an industry. Oh, Agents in particular were so ornery that if I'm like, oh, that guy refuses to work with them because of this, I'm like, hmm, that's probably interesting. I should go see what's going on over there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, there's, I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, but you know, the, there's no consensus of opinion. There's no consensus of knowledge in this industry, right? Like, there's you know, no um, this is a business that can publish Milo Yiannopoulos at the same house that, you know, publishes people on the exact other end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, this is an industry that, that does both things at the same time always because it's trying to find profit, right? 
It's a business. And so no one can ruin your career. At the same token, no one can make your career. No one has the exact right connection that will suddenly unlock everything, right? Like, yeah, people who are trying to tell you that are trying to have power over you in a way that is a lie. Absolutely. I just, that's, those are all points I wanted to like hit really clearly because that was one of the reasons we wanted to have you guys on the show. And so it wasn't just coming from us. It was coming from two people more in a position of authority to like tell people that exact thing, Hmm. which don't worry about your career being ruined because that's not a thing. Yeah. No, it's a great point. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Good point. Well, cool. Do we want to answer some general questions with the time we have remaining, Mer? Uh, sure. I do want to give, uh, I do want to ask the guys first a question of my own, which is, um, I know that, that I've been stressing a lot about my place in publishing in regards to all of the current events, and I'm curious what you guys have to say to say uh, debut authors, your own or others, and um, people who've thought, this is the year I'm going to query an agent, and they see the world falling down all around them and knowing things are going to slow down. What what do you have to say uh to that. I know that's kind of broad, but I know there are a lot of people out there worried. I would say that books are one of the few forms of art that can be made and consumed entirely alone. Yeah. Um, so publishing isn't going anywhere. It's not going to look exactly the same as it did before, but it's not going anywhere. And if this was the year that you were going to query, like that time was going to pass anyway, so why not query? You know, that's kind of my advice. Okay, Dongwon? Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically right. You know, I think we're seeing reports that sales are staying surprisingly strong, um, in some cases up and in some cases down. But, you know, that's the way the business, it, it doesn't seem like there's been a clear narrative really emerging out of this in terms of like, you know, publishing is a disaster right now or not, um, especially considering the state of the world. Um, you know, in terms of, of querying, you know, I think just as always do research on that agent. Some people are really open to stuff right now. They're like, I'm at home and I'm reading and there's nothing else for me to do. And there's some people who are like, I'm freaking about everything. I have no ability to process. So, right. you know, I think really, as always, check in with the agent, make sure you're being really targeted make sure, you know, you're approaching somebody who is open to queries right now and seems excited about, you know, working on various things. Um, but, you know, querying is a long process, and it seems like this is no time to stop doing that in general. Great. Okay, that was my question. Matt, do you want to go on to others? <laughs> sure. Uh, so this is actually a question that Mur and I answered before, but I saved it because I wanted to ask uh, Jen, Jen and Nalwan about it, because it goes to our what we were talking about before about making broad connections. Uh, Mike Headley on Twitter was asking about who are good people to follow on Twitter for uh, freelance-related content. Uh, you know, advice, stuff about the business, stuff about being a freelance writer. And I just want to know, Jen uh, and DW, uh, who are your who are your some of your favorite accounts or people to follow that talk about this freelance life? Oh man! Um, Ooh, interesting one. Yeah. I, you know, I don't I don't know if I think about it as, as sort of like the freelance life. I just try to follow people who I feel like are doing interesting things. Um, sure. So there's a ton of really great agents out there who who are pretty prolific tweeters and makers of content um like Beth Phelan is great um 
I would say Don Juan is also someone that I enjoy. I enjoy all his his tweets and stuff, and his newsletter is really good. You should you should definitely check it out. One um, of my favorites, Jen. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm a subscriber. Appreciate that. Guys. Um, I also I also have a newsletter, but it's not as good. So. <laughs> Jen's newsletter is very good. Both you should also subscribe to Jen's. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I just sort of look for you know who's doing something interesting and um. And that sort of varies from day to day. I mean, I don't think my Twitter feed has been as interesting the last six months because I've just been, I have no spoons. So um, I'm not really doing any interesting tweeting. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Dong Uh You know, in terms of like freelance writing specifically, um, you know, I would look at um, one of my clients, uh, Devin Maloney. Uh, they're at Dynamo Fire on Twitter. Uh, you know, she's a freelance writer who sort of writes about the business periodically. Uh, following Kim Kelly is an interesting one. She's one, someone who's really involved with sort of writers' union work um, and, and sort of unionization efforts generally. And so I think she has a lot of information and will talk about sort of the experiences of being a writer. Um, and, you know, if you're looking at games writing, Austin Walker is another client of mine who's doing a lot of interesting vocal work around that kind of thing. You know, really what you're, I think, doing is finding writers you think are really interesting who work on the freelance internet writing side of things. And, you know, they are constantly talking about the business because their business is, if anything, even more chaotic than ours. Um, (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's a really hard time to be uh, uh, independent freelance journalist um, or culture writer. Um, And, you know, I think there's a lot happening in those spaces that is pretty fascinating to watch from the outside in, in, and heartbreaking to be quite frank. Um, so it's a space to keep an eye on and see what's going on there and just follow some really interesting people and see what they have to say. Nice. Those are some good, those are some good recs. Uh, so we also have kind of a follow-up question to, to one we talked about before in one of our COVID episodes. Uh, B. Patrick Lomberg asks or says and then asks, uh, good advice is generally not to write to the market or to the times because of the lag of time in publishing. But generally, do you predict that the pandemic will increase or decrease the amount of dystopian fiction that's currently inundating the genre markets? Which seems like a good question for agents. God, we're going to see so many pandemic books in two years. But I don't think anyone's going to read them. I don't think so. I think it's a terrible idea. (laughs) I I think that, I mean, I think that a lot of books are being bought about the pandemic right now, like especially on the nonfiction side, but... I don't think that anyone at this point wants to read about it. The reading that we're doing is sort of protective and for information, but I don't think that it's going to be, I, I don't think it's going to be as big of a trend as, as we think. And maybe in like five years, 10 years when we've got some distance from it. But yeah. in, in two years, we might not even be out of this. So mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, I don't know if, if readers are really gonna, I mean, if you look at sort of the, um, what's up in terms of sales it's you know nonfiction, classics sort of stuff that people were meaning to go read but never got around to and they're like well i'm stuck inside i might as well read war and peace you know <laughs> I, I think we are gonna see i literally did start reading war and peace so you know i'm one of those people but i, I mean i think that we're gonna see not necessarily sort of like an uptick in like feel-good books but i think that that's sort of like where people are going is like things that aren't huge bummers yeah because everything is a bummer (laughs) whenever we're in moments of crisis i always have this thought that like the two things people flock to are a way to process this or a way to escape this right so you know in in with our 
you know, general political dystopia we've been living with for, for several years now, you know, I think that's why we're seeing such a resurgence of horror right now, um, is I think people are looking for ways to process the various traumas they're experiencing and, and sort of the systemic issues we're facing. And also I'm seeing a spike in sort of escapist adventure fantasy and things like that, where people are looking mm-hmm. for ways out, right? They, they want clarity about like, oh, there's good and evil that we can, we can throw a ring into a fire and then the world's problems are solved. Um, and boy, do I wish that were true. But, you know, I think, I think people are looking for those kind of reactions um, and looking to emotional extremes right now in fiction and in art. Yeah, I was playing a video game yesterday morning and my husband came downstairs and I said, look, I just need a problem that I can set fire to or can hit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And not uh, and, and have it not be horrifically in a part of a riot. I want everyone to approve of the fire and the hitting and the goodness of the, the very simplistic black and white uh, run out and punch something and the world is saved. Exactly. Like well, if that's I can why, shoot a um, demon in the face with a shotgun, that's very, that's very soothing right now. Yeah. Well, well and, and sort of to extend it a little further, that's why in historical fiction, World War II is never not going to be popular because there was a very clear... You, there aren't books about World War One in the same number as books about right. World War Two because Germany was different. <laughs> it was you can't just be like, oh, Germans bad in World War One because there was no clear. Everything was just such a muddle. But World War Two, we have a clear narrative of feel good fight the Nazis that that people feel like they can you know pin something on. So right. that's why we that's why those are perennial, perennial sort of not successes, but, like, more likely to be a success. No, you're absolutely right about that. Black and white. Yeah. It's so strange, though, man. I, I really... I cannot get into war stories lately. Like, war movies, war stories. It's it's very difficult. I, I don't know if that's a product of the times that we're in. It's just a personal thing. But I know they'll, I know they'll always be popular and always be around. But it's just, personally, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting there. It's, like, not what I want. I think I want... I want more of what, you know, we're talking about here, which is, like, the, the one-punch fantasy kind of solution thing. I don't want to be yeah. mired in, you know, blood and mud in a real-world context. But anyway, um, one thing I did, I did want to ask when we were talking about all this, so I, I, I agree with all of those sentiments. Even if, even if uh, pandemic, in, is, is, pandemic fiction isn't something people end up wanting, do you think publishers will try to make it a trend, though? Like, will they try to do it, even if it doesn't end up being popular? Is the thing I wonder. I think everyone's over-indexing on the fact that, like, Contagion became the most popular streamed movie when all this, when the pandemic started. Everyone's like, hmm, people want to read about this. And, you know, I think by the time those books are out, that impulse is going to be very, very much in our rear view. Um, So, I... You know, I don't know that they're going to try and make it happen. I do think people are buying those books, and I think we're going to see a lot of those books being written. Um, and I, th- I think we're going to see a spike in the topic, but I agree with Jen that we're not going to see a spike in those sales or, like, real traction there. But as always, it's very likely that we're wrong, too, so who knows. Because <laughs> you just never know. One of the things that keeps us coming back, this wacky, unpredictable train that is the publishing industry. Um, it is very hard to predict. Well, that is uh, that is all the, that is all the questions that I have, Mur. And also, it's about time to wrap things up because uh, I have to go be freelancer person for a living. So, art imitating life or life imitating art—either way you want to cut it. 
Is there anything uh, you guys would like to promote? Uh, your newsletters, a client with work coming out soon, or a podcast, perhaps? <laughs> we call that a segue on this show, Jen. <laughs> we always vote our segues, um, so... <laughs> Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a newsletter. It's called A Faster No. Um, you can find it on Substack. Um, I also run a podcast with Bridget Smith called Shipping and Handling, um, and we're going to have a new episode this week. Uh, I had a client have a book come out last week called Something to Talk About. Uh, it's a really, speaking of feel good, it's a really, really charming um, FF uh, rom-com. It's the first queer romance in print from Berkeley. Um, which I am so excited about. It's called Something to Talk About. It's really great. And then oh, yeah, why I've got a YA fantasy coming out called A Wicked Magic, which is from Sasha Lawrence, and it is basically the craft, only everyone has to deal with the consequences of their actions. <laughs> so that one's, <laughs> for, that one's available for pre-order now. <laughs> That sounds great. Uh, as Jen mentioned very kindly, um, I also have a uh, publishing newsletter. It's called Publishing is Hard. Uh, you can find that at Substack as well. Um, and uh, I have two books coming out in July, both incredible fantasy series. So July 21st, you can get uh, Savage Legion by this incredible writer by the name of Matt Wallace, uh, which who you guys might have heard about. Um, and that book is just a brilliant interrogation of like the core tropes of epic fantasy and just flips everything on its head in a way that I personally found to be totally delightful. Um, and then uh, a debut fantasy novel from a writer by the name of Ryan Van Loan called The Sin and the Steel, which is just a really, again, totally fun, delightful, um, uh, swashbuckling adventure fantasy. Uh, so if you're looking for some adventure on the high seas, go to uh, uh, Sin in the Steel. If you're looking for some gritty, warlike epic fantasy, then go to Matt Wallace, uh, Savage Legion. Uh, or ideally, buy both and enjoy both. That'd be my advice. Also, Ryan is basically the sweetest human being alive, so I just want him to do well just based on how nice he is. But he also writes, writes amazing daring do. I've got that phrase stuck in my head because of <laughs> and a review I read of it. Just great daring do. That Ryan it, it is it is the appropriate term, and yes, Ryan is genuinely one of the nicest humans I've ever met in my life. Uh, yeah, yeah, I hung out with Ryan at uh, Confusion. What two years ago, Dunwan? Was that yeah, when I you think were so. there? Yeah, and you were there, uh, and and he was memorable because I still remember hanging out with him. So yes, thumbs up on Ryan. He's awesome. Very cool. Well, all those things uh, I will include links to in our show notes so people can go check them out. And uh, just on a personal level, both of you, I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about very difficult things to yes. talk about. Yes, really appreciate it. Be, be willing to do that. And also just thanks for being our agents. I yeah. appreciate that. So. It's my, my, my pleasure, my honor. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a delight both to be on this podcast and to work with you. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've had I, I had so many bad things that when I finally landed with Jen, it's like, oh, this is what a healthy agent relationship is like. This is this is amazing. How did this happen? So yes, we're very grateful to you for both your professional uh, work and your patience to come on this show and talk about horrible things. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway. No, thank you for having me back. Yes, and we'll try to make it not two years before you return. <laughs> Yeah. Um, or maybe we will so. only do every two years. Oh, like, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Make a special. Like like a comet or something. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yay. You guys are our comet. 
Uh, <laughs> you can see the show notes and how to get in touch with me at Mighty... Uh, no, that's not right. Merverse.com. <laughs> the email address is MightyMer at gmail.com. And now it's you Matt's turn. You, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt F. and Wallace, uh, on YouTube, Angry Writer. My website will be relaunching soon, but I'll wait until it does to give out the URL for that. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. And pre-order Savage Legion. Um, Book coming out July 21st. I wrote it. It's not too bad. A couple star reviews, whatever. Not a big deal. Whatever. I'm allowed to say it's extremely good. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you guys again. You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymurr. Ditch diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com